<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. From the offices of Create and Cultivate, this is Work Party, a podcast for women who are redefining the meaning of work on their own terms. In each episode, we tap experts on topics that matter most to the modern working woman, whether you are running the show or working your side hustle. We're bringing in leading female entrepreneurs to share their stories with you. Are you ready to create and cultivate the career of your dreams? Well, welcome to Work Party, the podcast. Erica and Claire, thank you guys so much for joining us today for this episode of Work Party. If you guys don't know, they are the co-founders of A Kind, as well as authors of their new book, Work Wife. As you know, at Create and Cultivate, we are huge proponents of women supporting women and holding on to those who help you succeed. And these ladies are a prime example of that. From meeting during your undergraduate years at the University of Chicago to starting your digital marketplace of A Kind in 2010 to then selling that company to Bed Bath & Beyond in 2015 and now writing this book, you two have seen it all together. Let's welcome to the podcast, Erica and Claire. Hi. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about what Of A Kind is for those that might not know. Sure. Of A Kind is an e-commerce site where we sell the pieces and tell the stories of young makers or sort of emerging makers in beauty, home, and fashion. So we started in 2010 commissioning fashion designers who were really early on in their careers to create limited edition pieces that we would release in conjunction with a series of stories about the makers, about the pieces they're making, really to give people a sense of who was behind the pieces they were buying, why they should care, why they should be sort of tracking these people's careers. And we really made a reputation for sort of identifying the next big thing before it was a big thing in fashion. And so over the years, we have expanded into beauty products. We now do home goods. We do all sorts of things, paper goods, toys. and Fine jewelry. Yeah, yeah, all sorts of stuff. All the stuff. And it's not all just limited edition now either. We carry a lot of products from the regular collections of the designers and the makers who we work with. But sort of the core of our brand are these limited edition pieces that you can't find anywhere else. And once they're gone, they're gone. And over the years, the business has also expanded in terms of the kind of storytelling that we do as well. So one of the most popular things that we do is a 10 things newsletter that we send every Monday. That basically is a roundup of discoveries that Claire and I have made over the last week that we're excited to share. And it's not necessarily tied to the things that we're selling on the site. So it might be an app that we downloaded or a book that we just finished or, you know, a music video that we're obsessed with. And we really have realized over time that our audience is just really interested in discovery, finding new things. And so the 
newsletter also spawned a podcast called A Few Things that is weekly as well. Amazing. So 2010, you know, it's the beginning of the slow fashion. You know, people are starting to move away from fast fashion. They're starting to get into these indie brands and understanding the stories. You guys were obviously first to market with that. But how did you actually start the company? And what was both of your backgrounds? Did you self-fund? Did you have experience being entrepreneurs? Or how did it all sort of come together? You know, we didn't really have experience being entrepreneurs, but we do say we took extracurriculars in college way too seriously. (laughs) So I think that was sort of our first go at an entrepreneurial lifestyle. And the other nice thing is that we worked on similar, we worked on a couple of the same extracurriculars. So we had experience working together. After we graduated college, Erica worked in magazines. So she worked at Details Magazine and then at Lucky Magazine, RIP to both of them. (laughs) Um, And I went and got my master's in arts management and was working for artists and arts organizations. Um, And when we came up with the idea for Avokind, we were just so excited about it and had really no clue how to pursue it. And so we started really sort of the traditional way. We downloaded a template for a business model. Yeah, how to write a business plan. How to write a business plan online and and sat down and filled it out. We took an online course in marketing and we just started cold emailing people. You know, we didn't know the difference between a web designer and a web developer. So we just started emailing them all and being like, could you build us a website and got a crash course in how to do all of these things just sort of through trial and error. We raised a very small amount of friends and family money, but for a long time had to be really scrappy because we we didn't have enough money to, to grow the business aggressively. We didn't pay ourselves for the first 16 months, 18, 18 months, months yeah. of the business. And so we we really, you know, we're just relying on the revenue that we were generating from, from selling things. We raised about $100,000 to just sort of get us going and build the first site in mid-2010. And then over the course of the five years before we sold the business, we only raised $500,000 total, which is sort of like the scheme of, startups, especially the startups we were surrounding ourselves with in New York, that was a very small number. Mm-hmm. But you raised exactly what you needed, which it sounds like exactly. was the right, yeah, was the right move, like longer term. Well, and I think it just gave us options. You know, I mean, I think it, it, look, it made a lot of things really challenging. It meant that we could not grow the team really aggressively, that we had to think about growing the business in different in a different way than if we had been a VC-backed business that had raised $3 million or something. But it also meant that we could be more nimble and flexible. And when it came time to think about acquisition, uh, the range of partners available to us was super different than if we, you know, than if our valuation was a hundred million dollars or something. Exactly. So I, I think that's really, really helpful. So like if you're a self-funded company, you obviously have very little debt on the company or a small amount raised. So your acquisition price can be lower, but more meaningful to the, to the owners versus having a larger scale evaluation, more investors, and then less meaningful. Um, Well, and and we had the opportunity to make a lot of those decisions for ourselves. Right. We weren't dealing with this whole horde of professional investors who expect a certain return on their investment. We were dealing with angels or friends and family who tend to, I mean, not in every case, but who tend to have more reasonable expectations around what a return on an investment looks like. They weren't looking for 20x return or 50x return necessarily, which meant that we could move the business forward in different ways. Yeah, absolutely. And so... 
nine years now you've been running this company. Um, we'll get into the acquisition in a little bit, but like what were some of the big inflection points, you know, things that you changed, you know, really quickly, like you said, you moved away from this model of, you know, 10 of a kind, you know, sort of exclusive limited edition items to more e-com. So how, what were those big decisions where you're like, oh, we need to launch into this, or we need to think about launching a podcast. You know, can you walk us through some of those big moments? It's hard to identify big inflection points because I think so much of the business has felt like a just slow, and steady wins the race kind of situation. It's There have rarely been any silver bullets for us. I think things like expanding into new categories like beauty and home has very much been um, a, a natural growth out of what we see our customers responding to with the content that we do. So Erica mentioned that we've had this 10 things newsletter now since 2012. And we would write about, you know, lip glosses that we really loved. And not only would we get so much feedback of like, oh, thank you so much for that recommendation. We would see through affiliate links that people were clicking through and purchasing these lip glosses that we said we liked in really significant numbers. And so it just made a lot of sense. Like we should be selling this stuff ourselves. And the same thing with any category that we've moved into. It's been an extension of our personal interests and then a reaction to seeing engagement when we talk about those interests. Same with the podcast. You know, we can see what episodes people are really listening to. We get personal, you know, feedback in our voicemail boxes and in our inboxes from people. And and so we've just tried to really grow in a way that keeps us interested and keeps our audience interested. But I do think that one of the things that has always been challenging for us and was especially challenging for us in probably years one, two, and three was breaking the rules that we wrote ourselves. I mean, I think, you know, the, the idea of Of A Kind originally was limited edition pieces released in conjunction with stories. And uh, when we wanted to expand beyond that, it felt almost like, well, if we can't do that because that's not the business model. But just recognizing that, of course, we can because we created the business model and we can evolve it as it makes sense to us and as, you know, the way people interact with the site and the way people shop and just like live in the world changes, that gives us the freedom to do so. Absolutely. Like, I think, you know, I say a lot in the book, work party, if you're not pivoting, you're not paying attention. And I think, you know, when you are a essentially self-funded or, you know, have the control of your company, you can make those big decisions and pivot and change and move quickly, which oftentimes gives you that leverage over companies that are slower and bigger and more conflated. So nine years, you guys have been business partners and obviously friends. That's a lifetime, I feel like, in, in business years. Partnerships like that don't necessarily work out, um, but you guys are kind of a really great example of a partnership that really did work out. So can you talk a little bit about one, what's the secret sauce, if there is any, and and how have you guys sort of changed as founders and friends? I think the secret sauce is working at it. And I will say we didn't always work at it. I think there was a period during which we didn't necessarily take for granted our friendship because we've always been very grateful for it and understood the role that it plays. But I think we didn't fully value how it was contributing to the business. And I think once we realized that, we started doing things like going to management counseling and having harder conversations about what was working and what isn't working in our friendship. And now I would say our friendship does look a lot more like a marriage in a lot of ways in that, you know, we we purposefully make time to have friend dates outside of the business. We go to counseling together and work out, you know, any tensions or differences we're having. And we, we really put the work in. And I think that that's made all of the difference. Yeah. And I think that's a trend I've heard more and more that, um, you know, co-founders are, you know, high level employees, like going to that sort of counselor together or therapy or whatever it is, business therapy, business coaching, whatever, you know, that kind of does. Cause it's that third party, you know, conversation that you might want to have or outlook or things like that. Cause sometimes you're so stuck in your way. So I think that's really healthy. So you guys also, you know, 
know, started this company together and then now have written a book, uh, Work Wife. So the power of female friendships to drive successful businesses. Obviously talking a little bit about that, but tell us a little bit about why you wrote this and what was the process behind it? The reason we wrote it is because as we started thinking about our, you know, over these last nine years, the things that we've been really proud of in our professional lives and in our personal lives, one of the things that always comes out on top is our partnership. And as we started to look around us, we realized that there were so many other people who we imagined or, you know, had through our friendships with them had experienced some of their connections and some of their relationships. And that this was like a thing that women were teaming up, that women were working together and that it was driving their careers. And so we wanted to explore what that looked like by, you know, diving deeper into our story and sort of thinking about the ways that it's shaped us and the work that we do, but then also interviewing 14 other duos and trios of women about their experiences to see what approaches they brought to it, how they navigated it, and what made it work for them. Who are some of the women that you interview in the book? We interviewed Misty May Trainer and Carrie Walsh Jennings, the Olympic volleyball duo who won gold over and over again. We interviewed the founders of Food 52, Meryl Stubbs and Amanda Hesser, the trio behind Call Your Girlfriend, um, Amina Tussauds, Ann Friedman, and Gina Delvac. We really wanted to find a range of women across geographies, across age, across race. Um, across professional experiences to demonstrate, you know, the ways that women were were taking on these roles, but also that this wasn't a millennial women thing. It's not like it's some it's something mm. that's just happening with women in their 20s and 30s in New York and LA. And I think there were so many women as we started looking for work wives who came out of the woodwork. And you know, I think women entrepreneurs, as you I'm sure very well know, get a lot less coverage mm. in the media and a lot less attention historically. And so being able to dive into and surface a lot of those women in what ways that we could was exciting and refreshing for us. And one of the most incredible things was interviewing these women across such big age ranges and geographical ranges and industries. And they all had so many of the same things to say about their relationship and about one another. And they all took their relationships equally seriously. And that was really interesting. So, you know, we interviewed the founders of Hanky Panky who have been at it for 40 years now. And they have the same sort of feeling about their relationship that Eric and I do, that this is a marriage, that it will outlive other relationships. For them, it's outlived several several other marriages and <laughs> that they share everything with one another. And they are, you know, they're truly that ride or die attitude. And um, it, it's really cool to see that in reflected across so many different uh, duos and trios of women. Definitely. And in the book, you talk about how social media and friendship can make professional relationships murky. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah. I mean, I think we think a lot about, the, you know, there's this constant uh, seeking that everyone's doing for work-life balance, right? That people are trying to achieve this, what seems like impossible feat. And I think in in doing the, re, the in doing the thinking around the book, we sort of realized that like we're well, maybe maybe we're looking for the wrong thing. Maybe there is no such thing as work life balance when you're texting with your bosses or you know your friends with your coworkers on Facebook or you're responding to emails while you're watching Grey's Anatomy or whatever it is. So maybe instead of trying to find this elusive work-life balance, we should just be bringing more life to our work and trying to bring these personal, meaningful connections that we have into the office. 
And whether that's, you know, with a pre-existing friend or forging friendships at the office where you feel like you can be your real self, where you can be vulnerable, where you can form real connections and, you know, share who you genuinely authentically are. Absolutely. The boundaries are definitely getting blurred. I think, you know, as we're more and more connected, spending more and more time, you know, doing one being at work, but also spending more time thinking about work, the way you sort of approach work. I mean, and also like for you guys, I'm sure like the partners you're working with, your vendors, your friendly, you know, it's, it's very murky. I think these days where it's not as cut and dry. Um, And I don't think that's necessarily bad thing. Like you said, it's just a new way of thinking about it. Another, you know, sort of big milestone and change is obviously motherhood. I just spent the weekend actually with my sister who just had a newborn. So much Congrats. fun. Thank you. Thank you. But, you know, how has that changed the way you've approached your work, if at all? Um, and how do you think it sort of impacts, you know, work-life balance, I guess, as it, as it were, um, if it does at all? I mean, you know, I... It's always hard to answer these questions because I'm just six months into it. So I feel like I'm not. Yeah, you had a baby six yeah. months ago. His name is Cam. Yes. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah, I Sorry, hey, I Cam. just jumped right in. Um, <laughs> I did have a, I, yes. That's right. I did have a baby six months ago. His name is Cameron. He arrived just a couple of months before the book came out into the world, which was an interesting wow. um, <laughs> challenge. But I think the biggest impact it has had is on our relationship and it started to have it is on my and Erica's relationship and it it started to have an impact even before even he was conceived because I knew that I wanted to have a kid one day or I actually didn't know I was very on the fence I wasn't sure but Erica has always known that she didn't want children and besides having kids together we have gone through so many major life milestones together like you know, we went to college together. We got our first jobs around the same time. We started this business together. We got married around the same time. And we knew that this was going to be the first time that we really sort of diverged in life experience and that it was going to be something to contend with. And so we started talking about it really early on and had some really challenging conversations where we both, I think, had to bear insecurities, not just around what it would mean for us individually, but what it would mean for our relationship, because we do so much together. One really I think meaningful thing that happened was actually a result of interview an interview we did for the book. So when we were interviewing Amanda Hesser and Meryl Stubbs for Workwife, they're the founders of Food 52, they talked about how when Meryl was out on maternity leave, she, Amanda, her business partner, would send her an email every week telling her just a rundown of everything that had happened at the office that week that she needed to know and nothing that she didn't. And it really struck a chord with me personally because one of the things I had been really anxious about when it came to the idea of having a kid was this idea of being out for maternity leave at the company that I felt so strongly about that I'd started that I felt so sort of entrenched in the day to day. And I thought it, it sounded like a nightmare to me being just sort of cut off for however mm-hmm. many it's like weeks. peak professional FOMO. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Total FOMO. And Erica knew that I was feeling that way. And we both had a really strong reaction to this story that they had done, that they had set up this routine. And so when I got pregnant, she proposed coming over to my house a couple of afternoons a week to just catch me up on what was happening at the office, to run through the things that we needed to talk about. And also just, you know, to to keep me company or to hold the baby while I took a shower or whatever it was that I needed. And even before that actually, you know, happened, it was such a huge relief for me. And it, it really helped me and lead up to my maternity leave to to feel good about taking the time away from the office. And it, when it was really significant, it was returning to the office. I did not feel like I was walking into a place where I didn't know what was going on. Like I didn't know, you know, how to be anymore. I felt like I, in a lot of ways, I was able to pick up where I left off because Erica had done me this incredible favor of, of keeping me in the loop. 
And that's something we thought about and talked about a lot, just the way that women can support each other and, you know, mm -hmm. and their non-female co-workers when these big life events happen and when these, you know, because we, because we all have personal lives. We all have lives outside of the office. And there are things that we can do to make space for that that just like aren't that much of a lift ultimately. So it might be, you know, kind of a really specific relationship and going over to your co-worker's house a couple of days a week might not be for everyone, but there's certainly no reason why if somebody's out, you know, spending time with a parent who has to get surgery or something, you couldn't as a coworker and friend raise your hand and be like, hey, if you want me to send you an update on that call afterward, if you want me to send you a recap of everything you missed on Friday, I'm happy to do that. And if you don't, that's cool too. But I'm here if you want that. Absolutely. I, I think that's so sweet. And I, I love that um, sentiment so much. It's like there are ways to not feel like you're completely cut off <laughs> from yeah, everything, especially yeah. as like a and founder. There are things that we can do as coworkers and friends that make a huge difference. And that was one of the things that really spoke to this idea of what's so valuable about having a work wife for us, because that was, I think, an instinct that was born out of just being friends with one another, right? Saying like, I see what you need right now and I want to be there for you and support you. But it actually has very real implications for the workplace. If you think about it, why can't exactly what Erica said, why can't we all be doing this, right? Absolutely. I think that's absolutely true. And even as like a business owner on the flip side, you know, it's like maternity leave can feel really scary because you're like, I'm losing one of my big employees, you know, for whatever amount of months it is. But I think it's also about thinking through like, how are we creating something that works for both people? And then also giving them the support and time they need to obviously, you know, it's a huge life change, you know, both male or female, like you said, you know, I think there's different ways to approach it. And it kind of leads back to what you guys were saying, where it's like, you know, the boundaries are different now. It's a little bit more blurred, a little more personal. Um, so it's really about making those changes that work for everyone. And I think as, as we've considered it more and more, we're sort of cool with the boundaries being more blurred and encourage that because I think the boundaries being where they were was, was set up by men for men. It's harder for women to completely separate the personal from the professional. And this idea of like being pregnant and having to go to the office is like the, a prime example of that. But in general, women, like it or not, are just more responsible for um, the emotional well-being and the actual well-being of, of more people often in their lives. And so being able to have this flexibility and to be able uh, to bring some of that to the workplace uh, can be really impactful. Absolutely. So let's cut to 2015 of a kind is acquired by Bed Bath & Beyond. Tell us a little bit about how that all came about, you know, and, and how you guys made that decision together. We were at a point in the business where we knew that in order to, to continue to grow it, we needed some sort of assistance, really, whether that was going to be in the form of significant funding or partnering up with another business in the form of acquisition. And we, you know, Bed Bath & Beyond was nowhere on any of the lists that we that we had considered as potential partners. But through a sort of fortunate turn of events, we got introduced to them and we walked into the meeting not expecting anything and walked out of it really surprised by how much we liked them and how much we felt like they understood our business. Interestingly, their business was started by two best friends too, who 40 years later are still best friends and only recently stepped down as co-chairs of the board. But for a really long time, they were co-CEOs and and have sort of a true work-wife relationship. They vacation together. Despite the fact that they're men. It, despite yeah. the fact that they are men. Um, but they are truly work wives in our definition of it. And and we like to think that that had something to do with how well we sort of understood each other from the get go. And, you know, ultimately, because of that, that synergy and, and that 
the positive feelings we had in our conversations with them, it became a sort of obvious move for us. It was clear that they wanted to support our business for what it was and, and to give us the tools to continue to grow it. And it's been a good partnership. Amazing. So I would love to wrap with some rapid fire questions. Um, Sounds great. How would you guys each describe each other in three words? Let's see. This is Claire. I would describe Erica as decisive, fair, and incredibly smart. Brilliant. For good to go with one word. Yeah. I would describe Claire as enthusiastic artful and persuasive. Your current guilty Instagram follow. I feel absolutely no shame or guilt about this, but I love Real Quay Quay. Do you know what that is? No. What is it? Okay. Well, it is Serena Williams's daughter's doll. Amazing. And it is a fantastic follow. I highly encourage it. It's like very wittily and it's just like really incredibly well done. I follow so many people on Instagram. Like, I I have absolutely no criteria for whether or not to follow, why I follow someone. I follow- We'll go see a play or something, and Claire will be taken with one of the actors or just want to know more, and we'll follow that person, and then a year later, still be following that person. <laughs> it's like how I keep track of things. It's like, oh, someone tells me about a restaurant, and instead of just, like, writing it down somewhere where I can reference it, I start following it on Instagram, which is not a note-taking method I recommend. And- <laughs> find it later than when you want it. But I follow 2,857 people and I'm not embarrassed about any of them, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) Even if you should be. Yeah. Right. What is something you guys are both recommending right now? I've been recommending this grocery delivery service called Our Harvest. I think they're only in the New York area right now, but they're like a farmer's market delivery service. And out West, you guys have good eggs, Mm. um, which is similar. But ever since having a kid, it's just so much harder to get to the grocery store. As much as I am actually a huge grocery store fanatic, I love shopping at the grocery store. But it's really nice to have an online equivalent of that sort of like thrill of discovering some weird vegetable that they randomly (laughs) have. have one week and being like, sure, I'll buy that. I have been recommending a book called Word Slut by a woman, Amanda Shapiro, and it's about linguistics and feminism and sort of the way that language changes and evolves. And it's really fascinating and just well done and smartly done. And it it made me think about a lot of things that I hadn't considered before. A woman I admire is... You want to say Serena Williams, but I know, but I already already blew it there. there, You're you're coming on strong. Yeah. You know, I will, I will take the easy way out and say my mom, but it's true. She was my first sort of professional hero. I, she was, she, she recently retired though. She continues to work really hard. And I think seeing her be really ambitious about her career and about motherhood and even just like her fashions and style and be true to all those things really gave me the sense that I could do I could I could be ambitious about a lot of things and I didn't have to just choose one lane it's Serena Williams oh sorry (laughs) (laughs) I mean this is also definitely an easy way out but Claire I mean I think that you know she was talking before about not being sure about motherhood and and feeling you know it, it could have kind of gone either way at a certain point And I think watching her really embrace that role in a way that feels very authentic to her has been really wonderful to watch. And finally, the best piece of business advice you've ever received. Don't wait till you have all the answers. I think there are so many people, especially women, who feel like until they've figured every single thing out, they can't, you know, make the leap to either starting their own thing or doing a new project or trying something out. And that's just not how it works. You, you know, you have to, you can, you can learn by doing, and you just have to be confident that 
you uh, have the curiosity and passion and drive to find your out along the way. And I think mine is almost the opposite, although I think both <laughs> can be true. I, I, I would say, you know, ask, ask for what you want, ask for what you need and to ask for advice. I think a lot of times people, when they don't know the answer, don't think to just like ask somebody. And that's something that we rely on a lot. You know, when we feel stumped about something, we will reach out to our network of people and just say, Hey, how do you do this? Or what do you think about this? Absolutely. Well, thank you ladies so much. And again, the book is Work Wife, The Power of Female Friendships to Drive Successful Businesses. And tell us where we can find your podcast as well. On Dear Media, duh. (laughs) Um, And it's called A Few Things. It comes out every Monday and you know, it's on all, all the things, Spotify, iTunes, all the things. Amazing. Well, thank you ladies so much. Thank Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. Ladies, Self-care is big business. While we're working harder than ever before, we're also working to take care of ourselves along the way, and we're willing to spend big bucks to do so. At Create and Cultivate's first ever self-care summit, we'll be exploring the world of self-care, from business of wellness to how the modern working woman turns off and disconnects after a long week in the office. If you're ready for a day of panels, keynotes, pop-ups, crystal readings, meditation sessions, and so much more, Everything you know and love from Create Cultivate, head over to createcultivate.com to grab your tickets for the first ever self-care summit in Los Angeles on July 20th. We'll see you there. Have you bought your copy of Work Party the Book? Part career manifesto, part practical business advice, Work Party the Book is everything I wish I knew during my early years as an entrepreneur. The ups, the downs, the things I learned and the women that helped me to make it happen. Just like in our podcast, Work Party the Book does not shy away from the nitty-gritty details you need to know. If you hope to start your own business or become the HBIC at your current gig, we're here to help you out. Available in hardcover and audiobook on Amazon, also on iBooks at Target and your local bookstore. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Work Party, the podcast. If you felt inspired and learned something new, let us know in a review on iTunes and check us out on social at Work Party. For every episode, we have downloadable resources available on workparty.com so you can put these tips and tools into action for your own business. Thanks again for listening. And as always, work hard, party on.